everyone and welcome to the Guna podcast. This is number 143 and we take this after FA Cup third round match and before the Wednesday evening trip to Anfield. And very sadly, this was also the day where David Bowie passed away. But I'm your host, Mark Hollington. I've missed more pods than Jack Wilshire's matches, but I've done everything I can to make it for you tonight. And my reward is a panel of top quality, top, top quality, Jamie Redknapp might say, the, the M4. I also think if you combine how long the three panel members have been involved with the Guna, it could be nearing 100 years, fact fans. Wow, I know, check that out. That's a lot of Arsenal knowledge coming your way. So, first up, our esteemed publisher. He's the only panel member, and also including the host, that has a full head of hair, despite his advancing years. So stepping up to the mic, it is a mic. It's Mike Francis. Good Hello, evening. Mike. Hi, Mark. <laughs> right. He calls himself a standing host, but let's face it, he is the governor. His no-nonsense, his no-nonsense presenting style is loved by you all. Today, though, we get to hear what goes on in his mind, and his editorials are brought to audio life. What more could you want? It's our editor, Kevin Witcher. Hello, um, Mr. Arlington, are you claiming you have a full head of hair? No, I said also including the host. But, you know, I'm holding on better than you and Steve, just. So you're much just. younger. Oh, true, very true. <laughs> anyway, enough hair chat. Let's go on to the man who the term Marmite was invented for. But I'm not referring to his weird practice of smearing it on his torso. It's Steve Ashford, the controversial hybrid spy. Hello, Good Stephen. Good evening, everyone. I have to say I am the most phonically challenged here. Well, I think, you know, you might be following challenge, Steve, you're still a sexy man. But more importantly than that, the listeners, they want some Arsenal chat. So let's get cracking for like 50 minutes of audio fun. So, since the last podcast, we've had Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone out there, um, even though we're well into January, but even so, Happy New Year. And since we were last here, we've had the Man City match, 2-1 at home, Southampton, I won't mention the result of that, Bournemouth, Newcastle and the FA Cup. 3-1 3-1 win. So let's talk about the Christmas period and the league first. What did you make of the festive results? I'll start with you, Michael. Can we ignore Southampton? Um, I mean, it, it, was, it was a good start. It's been set. You played well. I thought we, we tactically, that was, we, we did what we should have been doing probably for the last decade and uh, let them play to their strengths, but just made sure we uh, hit them on the break. And Southampton was a disaster, but there's always one of those around the corner, isn't there, with Arsenal? Um, but then we bounced back and had a couple of comfortable home wins. Uh, overall, probably about right. I, I just fear that maybe we're over-egging it a little bit because there were some couple of easy uh, home games in amongst there. So nine points out of twelve. I love the way that the Man City game suddenly became a Christmas game when when Arsenal mm. was talking about you know, well, we've taken nine points from twelve, and I'm like, yeah, we only played three games over since Christmas. Man City was including that. I think the FA Cup was, you know, again, I think the sub when we drew Sunderland, everyone went, oh, bloody hell, that was a boring draw. Um, fortunately, we got a marginally more interesting one in the fourth round that we've just heard, um, albeit at home to Burnley. So we'll see how that goes. Steve, did the Southampton results take any gloss off those results for you? It certainly did, actually. Um, let's not talk about the home games, because we all, we all know what happened there. We all know we played reasonably well and we beat them without... Um, without some of our best players. I don't think we're getting enough credit for being top of the table 
and winning, or certainly not losing, nine out of our last ten games with, you know, a squad players. Joel Campbell's come in and has done reasonably well, getting better with every match. Um, <clears throat> lots of players have come in. Uh, Chambers has come in in the midfield there. I think he's been quite impressive. Um, but the Southampton game, where did that all go wrong? Um, as Mike says, there's always that game in Arsenal's kind of repertoire. And we play Liverpool away this Wednesday, which will be the first away game since, since Southampton, with potentially the same team. So I'll be very interested to see whether that team, again, because um, Alexis won't be back, whether we give a, a good account of ourselves or we lay down and die again. I think we'll give a good account of ourselves. But I would like to say about Southampton, they've lost the five games before they played us. They've lost the three games since they played us. They lay down and die in most of their games. No, you know, no battle, no fight, no nothing. When they played us, they played like it was their cup final. Battled us, fought for every ball. You know, I hate the fact that they do it against us, but they don't do it against anyone else. And to be honest, it sport my Christmas that game. What do you make of it, Kev? I mean, that 2 1 win against City, good stuff though, right? And then to go from that to that in two games. It's a hell of a contrast, really. I mean, you know, after the City results, uh, you thought, well, let's, let's uh, press on here, you know, and we're in good shape too. Do things like get a result at uh, Southampton. Um, I mean, it was just one of those days, wasn't it? Really, we just didn't turn up. And uh, what also is a bit strange is that in, if you count these four matches as the Christmas games, we were we were at home in three of them, which is uh, pretty unlikely. And and it might, you know, I think it depends who you play, but uh, it's it sort of was to our advantage that we didn't have to travel that much. In all fairness, and Southampton's hardly a major trek. So I suspect uh, the dice kind of fell for us a bit. Um, I mean, the other thing was it was just Bournemouth was the perfect match two days after Southampton. We were at home. They were going to come and try and play football. Um, I don't think they really even tried to imitate what Southampton did if they've got that sort of in them, to be fair, because their manager likes to be a bit of a, a football man himself. So... Uh, I think, in a way, that you know, this, if, you, if, if we can think of Southampton as a bad day at the office, we actually came through it better than uh, a lot of other teams did. And uh, in top of the table at the end of the year, I mean, it's it's, it's a fair place to start from if you're going to have a crack at it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, next two games are difficult. Okay, they are. I mean, yeah, this, is, this, is, this is what has been said by many people. We've had a tough away game at Chelsea. But who else have we, we travelled to? Southampton. Well, that shouldn't be a tough game. That shouldn't be tough games. <laughs> tough games in theory. What? I think we only won once at Southampton since St Mary's was built. Oh, surely not. We have. I think no, we've only won once there. Yeah, we haven't played that often. No. Because, you know, I was talking about this on Boxing Day before the game. Yeah. So I watched it with my wife and my son, who's a Norwich, fan, Norwich fan. It's my wife, Burnley fan. And Norwich got beat 3-0 in the afternoon. Burnley got beat 3-0 in the afternoon. I was almost... <laughs> prepared to bet on us being beat 3-0 and I was nearly right um, yeah. collapsing last minute but um, yeah no, I, I actually looked it up because I said we've, we've got a crap record at Southampton and I looked down and go well we've only won once since 2004 or something but then we've only played them about three times or four oh, times since then more than that because no, they were out of the division for I know, a long but time we've played them the last three or four years on the run and we, on, on yeah. the, you know, recently yeah. but we've won, won one of them haven't won any of them have we? I think we won one of them drew 2-2 two, two, two years ago Lost last year, lost this year. I'm pretty sure we drew the one before that. 
There you I can't go. remember the win. Actually. Check up on Google, fat fans. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I think the first time we went there, we won. I think Henri scored. It was one nil. But it is a bogey ground for us, so I suppose we've got that excuse. But you are, we are still top. And then that was followed up, as we mentioned, with an FA Cup win, 3-1 at home, Sunderland. Fourth round draw just happened, which was the game... Burnley at home. Burnley at home. Looking so that. are you chaps excited about the next round of the FA Cup, or do you think, like some, that it might enhance our league chances if we, went out, if we went out the cup? No. What, what's your feelings no, on the FA Cup? No, it's going to enhance our league chances if we go out. The whole club will be in massive depression. And, you know, I don't want to go out of any cup, you know. <clears throat> OK, it might be better for us in the long run if we were concentrating solely on the league. If, if we lose to Barcelona, it would enable us to continue and carry on with the, with the Premier League. But I don't want to lose to Barcelona, I want to beat them. And the same might be said for the FA Cup, but I don't want to lose the FA Cup, I want to win it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to win every match. Yeah, no, I, I, I never want to lose a game. I suppose there's some, some tactical ones that you get. I just hope yeah. we don't... I don't if we're gonna if we're gonna throw it in inverted mm. commas, I, we don't make it too bloody obvious. But the one I'd, I'd throw is Barcelona. But we all know that's not the one we're gonna throw. If we get if we, the if one we, we'll throw if we get past Burnley, and Kev pointed this out in the editorial this morning, yeah. will be the fifth round, which is just before the Barcelona first leg. Yeah. Um, and I think the sixth round comes just before the Barcelona second leg. So um, you know. The, 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 if Fingers got his eye on, got, got his eye on the Champions League, as we all know he has, um, and believes he can pull off a, what, what most people would consider a surprise and beat Barcelona, um, the FA Cup will get in the way. Well, when you look at the chances that Sunderland created on Saturday, and the chances that Sunderland created in their last league game, and the chances that Newcastle created, if we can get through against Barcelona and not concede seven goals over two legs, <laughs> I think that would be a miracle. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Yeah, somebody said ten to me at the weekend. Yeah. So, so, I think so, so I would yeah. concentrate on the FA Cup. Does it still get your juices flowing, Kev, the FA Cup? Um, not as much as it used to. I mean, it used to be very exciting um, because it used to matter. Um, and I think even well into up until about 2000 it still mattered I think partly a funny sort of way moving away from Wembley had a bit of a dilution effect that year Man United didn't take part in it didn't help much and you know the, the, the tendency even in lower league teams to rest players in the FA Cup because the league is the priority um, yeah, it's not as exciting as it was because you are not seeing all the best players and all the best teams. And in the old days, you did. People were desperate to win the FA Cup. It really mattered. Now I think it's, it's, it's basically reliance on finance. It's the prize money for the FA Cup is, is pretty insubstantial. Whereas, you know, even just maybe being a couple of places higher in the Premier League will win you more money than winning yeah. the FA Cup. So... Um, it's a money game now, and, and that has been reflected in the way this tournament is looked at. And um, it's a shame, but this is the way the game has gone. The other thing to note is that when this policy of playing weakened teams in the FA Cup to kind of subtly ensure we exit the thing has happened before, it hasn't always had a beneficial effect. I remember in 2008 we were hammered at Manchester United 
and it didn't help us at all in the league. I was there. Like, where are we We also <laughs> decided to chuck the League Cup semi-final at Spurs and lost 5-1 with a half a team in that season. It didn't augur well for our, our progress in the other competitions in the end. It, made a, you know, it didn't help us. No. Um, so psychologically, I mean, I just think it's better just to keep going and get knocked out with a decent team sometimes because I'm not completely convinced that losing helps the psychology of the club, even if you don't play your best players. So, I mean, I think against Burnley, you see half a team, but it will probably be good enough to get through. Uh, there's a theory that Wenger is far happier to chuck these ties when Arsenal are away for some reason, um, because maybe he feels the crowd will get on his back more if it happens at home. But, uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you've won it two years in a row, and they've been great days. So, you know, I'm not going to say, let's just exit this thing. Most, maybe that's going. like the thing that will count in favour of the FA Cup this year, so that we are, as holders, and as we've got the opportunity to make some modern history and win it three times on the trot. Perhaps that will just give it that extra little boost in, in Wenger's mind. Well, apart from winning the Champions League yeah. and the Premier League, winning the FA Cup three times on the trot, first thing to do it in over 130 years, that would make my season, to be honest. Would you sell off that, Steve, if it meant Spurs winning the M League? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> if we won the Champions League, I'd settle for that. If we won the Champions League and Spurs won the league, I could take that. It's not on my list of questions, but I'll ask anyway. Yeah. Do you think there's any remote possibility of Spurs winning the league this season? Yeah, I'm on record of saying there probably is. Because they're consistent. And, if they're, and they don't, don't get too many injuries. They certainly haven't got any at the moment to key players. Deli Alley's played virtually every game. Kane's played virtually every game. Lamella, not Lamella. Um, yeah, it is Lamella, isn't it? I don't know, Steve. Yeah, the <laughs> Italian right winger. Good player. Ericsson's played virtually every game. They never get injured. The two centre-halves never get injured. If they keep that team and they carry on going and Arsenal City have a little mini-collapse, they could, they could take it. I'm, I hate saying it, but realistically, they could certainly win it. Could you chap see that ever happening this season, I mean? I'll say it's it's going to happen any time. It's going to happen this season. There's so many yeah. wacky results. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we're top, despite having lost away to West Brom, drawn away to Norwich, lost to Chelsea, lost to Southampton... And being without seven and, you know, we, 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 Man City have lost five or six already. We've lost yeah. four. You know, it's like well, Spurs must be going right. Come on, lads! This is this is yeah. our opportunity. Yeah. But the other thing, and, and they have been consistent, as Kev says, as Steve says. Yeah. They, in my view, the the team is very young. Um, you know, it's not been round the track too many times. They're also credibly competing in two other competitions. You know, they're not. I think the way they look at the Europa League now is probably, if we win this, we're in the Champions League. And they probably think, I mean, maybe now not so much, but previously they might have thought we've got more chance of winning Europa League than finishing in the fourth place. As it turns out, the way the season has gone, they've got an excellent chance of finishing in the top four. But I don't think they can win it because I just think they're a bit young, especially in midfield. I mean, Harry Kane... Is he going to just keep going? You know, if, he's, if he has a bit of a dry run at some point, where are the goals going to come from? The fact they don't lose games doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win the title. Uh, Liverpool lost a total of two matches in 2008-2009 and finished second. It's about winning matches. So basically you're better winning two matches and losing one than drawing three. Um, so 
I think the manager's actually a pretty good manager. And I think they've got the startings of a very good team. Their real challenge is hanging on to A, the manager, and B, Harry Kane. And any other decent player like Deli Alley or whatever, I can't even remember his first name. But, uh, you know, that's the, the test they've got ahead because they've got to pay for this stadium. Finance is going to be tricky. Um, we were a selling club when we went through that. Be interesting to see whether they become a selling club when they have to pay this 350 million for their new stadium. Be interested to see whether they'd have to sell their best players like we did. Mm. Totally, so it could be now and ever for them, and let's hope it's never. Yeah, let's hope it's never. And it doesn't happen. Let's hope it is never. But, you know, it's but, but um, like us. So it's the first time, this yeah. is a very distinct possibility, though, right? Yeah. And the longer absolutely. the season goes on, yeah. the more I start to think how unbearable would their fans be oh. if it actually happened. Just be, uh, their stadium makes me sick. As, as far as they're concerned, it would totally wipe out all the league titles we've won, everything. They'd be going, look at us, oh, anyway, doesn't yeah. bear thinking about. Well, in their eyes, it would. That's mm. Yeah, mm. sold them. Speaking of managers, though, you know, um, Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola, is coming to England, or so he says. It's his favourite destination, favourite destination of um, choice. What are the implications of this for Arsenal? And should we be talking to him? I mean, let's face it, you know, he's a world-class manager, stays three or four years at a club, as he said, no interesting legacy, but a very exciting and enticing proposition. Is it, Mike? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, I like him. I think, he, I, think, I think he's charismatic as well. Um, you know, he, he's had a fairly easy ride at Barcelona. You know, he inherited Barcelona with Messi and all the superstars they've had um, in, a t- in a league which well, it's a bit more than two teams I suppose, but not, mu- not by much it's, you know, apart from Real Madrid and he's, gone to, and he's gone to Bayern Munich who just won the treble and with all their talent and they, they went and they immediately went and bought two Borussia Dortmund players and they got Gotson and Lewandowski or over the first year he was there which effectively wiped out their only major competition. So he's had a pretty easy time of it, I think. But I still like him, and I still think he could do us a lot of good. Um, and I think, I don't know, it's a gut feeling. I've got no, I'm not an in-the-nose Twitter people like to say, but um, I think if he had the opportunity to come to Arsenal, I think he would, over anyone else. Apparently Man City are offering him £21 million a year to go there. Would we ever offer him £21 no. million a year to What's be a manager? Paid? Eight and a half million. Uh, yeah, believe. unofficially, uh, he's on about 11 with bonuses. So that's still half what we'd have to pay Guardiola. And I'm still not convinced Arsenal want rid of Wenger. I'm still not convinced Wenger wants rid of Arsenal. And I still expect him to sign a new contract after this one ends. Would you take him though, Steve? If you could swap now, this moment in time, yeah. we're top of the league, yeah. still in the next round of the Champions League, yeah. still in the FA Cup. Yeah, Let's that's face tomorrow, it. As, yeah, as from tomorrow. <coughs> Would I swap Wenger for Guardiola? Yep. I think you have to be mad not to, given his... Even, though he, doesn't, even though he doesn't stay for more than three or four years traditionally. He's not a manager that will probably stay around for... I worry about that once we've won the title or the Champions League this season. <laughs> <laughs> Kev? Uh, well, yes. Who actually looks a bit like Guardiola, it has to be said. Well, I'm not often stopped in the street by people <laughs> asking for my autograph, however. Um, yes, I mean, I would take Guardiola. I mean, I know it's only three or four years, but... Once Wenger goes, that will be the way it probably will be. You know, um, managers are not of the legacy kind anymore. It, it, football doesn't seem to work that way. 
Um, Wenger is probably the last of his ilk on that in that level. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Guardiola would be a good fit. I mean, because obviously the Arsenal crowd have kind of got used to an attractive brand of football, and that's undoubtedly what he he would bring. The only thing that I think is a reason he would not come is because where he has been, he has become quite accustomed to spending fairly significant amounts of money to get the players he wants. Now, whether or not you think the Arsenal board are happy to do that and Arsene Wenger is the person who doesn't splash the cash in a big way or if you think actually the board tell him we don't want you to spend all this money because we're perfectly happy with the profits we're getting and the level we're at and they're not that ambitious on a sporting level, um, that would influence whether or not Guardiola would be interested in that kind of job, I think. Because if he was working under restrictions financially, I don't think he'd want it. So, um, you know, he does like to buy superstars. Do you think he would come to Arsenal for less than what he's offered elsewhere? I think I don't think the money is a huge factor. I don't think there's a lot of difference once you're earning more than 11 million, what the next 10 million is, especially probably get taxed on most of it, unless you've got a very clever accountant. But uh, I, I think what he is able to do at that club would influence his decision. And at Manchester City, he will be given a blank checkbook. You can imagine him buying four players in the summer for like... 40 million each. Financial fair play seems to have gone out the window. Guardiola can build his dream team uh, without financial restriction. Could he do that at Arsenal? I would imagine not. He could challenge Arsenal, but if he wants to prove that he can win things without spending all the money. As Mike said before, yeah, he, he wants to prove really he's a proper, successful football manager. To be credit, to be you know, to be fair to Arsene, <clears throat> you know, he, he's kept us in the top four. For 20 years, never lost in the third round of the cup. For 20 years, and that's not an achievement, but yeah, I get you mean those. You know, yeah. Champions League qualification, group stages, and then knockout every year for 20 years. Yep, simple this season. <laughs> Don't totally get me going on. You know, <laughs> FA Cup two years running, could win the league this year. I mean, Arsenal's done it without spending millions. Let's see whether Guardiola could do it. I don't think he'd take the challenge though. But Kev mentioned there that you know, legacy managers are thing of the past. Whereas next season we're probably talking about City, United, Chelsea, all changing. Liverpool got Klopp a yeah. few weeks ago, a few months ago. And I feel that we're missing out on not, yeah. not being part of this kind of crazy cavalcade of managers go round. Well, that's why people call me, what's the word? Um, fickle. Knob. Fickle. Yeah. <laughs> fickle. Because, we, because one, one, you know, at the end of the season, when Wenger doesn't spend any money, leaves us all hugely frustrated doesn't win the league when he's got a perfectly big chance to do it, <clears throat> you think, oh no, I want him out. Then the season starts, we go straight to the top of the table, we play brilliant football, <clears throat> you know, the previous summer's all forgiven. So then you think, oh, well, Wenger's not so bad after all. I think all Arsenal fans are a little bit Wenger out, a little bit Wenger in, depending on what time of year it is. I think there were some that were a lot more Wenger out than, and some that yeah. a lot more Wenger in, yeah. in between. But If you were still the editor of the Guna Mike, writing the, the editorials that Kevin does, would you be like a bit bland more, and boring? Would you be a bit more <laughs> optimistic about our manager than what Kevin's been in recent seasons? Do you think? Do you think you have more faith? I probably would have been for a while. Um, I think I probably switched over to the dark side, as people like to call it, probably two or three years ago. But I think what's what's happened over the last well, last two seasons, so two FA Cups, and from what 
we've seen at other clubs this season, or Man United the last two seasons, probably not quite as far onto the dark side as I once was. Same um, here, on the same. You know, and just think, well, you know, better the devil you know and all that. And it, you know, I think I think I was sadly quoted why I should refuse to come on podcasts because I say stupid <laughs> things and they live with me forever. I, I did say something about, yeah, well, I'd take Mourinho, and that was probably a year, year and a half ago. And then we've we the message. We've said that. Yeah. Well, I don't think we have, but you know, I've, I've always said, I've always sort of had, just hated Mourinho because it was all about him and his ego, and that's what ultimately did for him at Chelsea. Um, you know, and I think, well, actually, I, I, I just like the. Maybe it's a bit boring, and maybe it's not as quite as exciting. And but maybe, well, that's, maybe have, that's Arsenal. You'd rather have Arsenal now, though, wouldn't you, than Man United now? Yes. Yeah. You or, really or even Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea. Would, would you have yeah. had Would you yeah. have had Man United between 2006 and 2016, or Arsenal between 2006 <coughs> and 2016? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Point, huh? But we did move stadium, and I will say, you know, Klopp. I've always loved Klopp. Well, yeah. over the past four or five years. Yeah. But he's hardly chaining up trees at Liverpool, is he? No, he's not at all. No, I think he's got. I mean, he's, he's got a tough job, though, he, right? He inherited what Brendan Rodgers left him, so you know, pity him for that. Um, and but he. he he always came across as a character when he was in Germany, when he was a far. Yeah. And now I'm seeing him interviewed every week. I'm thinking, actually, you're a little bit of a tosser as well, aren't you? You know. <laughs> and and whilst I, I actually like one thing that he got really heavily criticised for, which I thought was good, was after they drew at home. Was it West Brom? They drew at home with last week. Yeah. Up, and yeah. he got the fans. Oh, he got the players, and he took them all in front of the cop. And I think that was a reaction to what he'd said a couple of games previously where he criticised the fans for leaving five minutes early when they were chasing the goal. And this was to sort of say, you stuck with us, we got the goal, and I know it's only a draw against West Brom, but we're going to come and thank you. And that was really what he did at Dortmund. He created that bond between the players and the fans. I'd love to see that at Arsenal. And I think we're getting a little bit of it. I know it annoys the hell out of some people around me when, you know, they do the Mert Sacker and Walcott do the... I like the, that. I, I like that. I, th- I, I love think, that, yeah. I, I, I'm, I don't care one way or another, but I, but I, I understand like why that. people do like yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, it's just the little... Because they want to see you, aren't they? Little they want to see you as a person. little bit of a bond between the players. I think that's what Klopp yeah. was doing at, at Liverpool, and yeah. I like that. Yeah, when, they, when, when, they, when the Arsenal players walk round at the end of the game and they wave, they're not waving to 10,000 fans that are left in the stadium, or 20,000, however many it is. <clears throat> they're waving to you personally. And I think we should all stay behind and accept those waves. We should. Nice sentiments, dude. Yeah. Nice sentiments. I wish Joel Campbell would do it. Getting away from the manager onto the players. Well, let's talk about Joel Campbell. Wenger came out recently and said that he's this season's Cockerland. Is he that good? And what impact has the Joel man had on the team, Kevin? Uh, I think it remains to be seen whether or not he remains um, as good as he has been in a couple of his best games. I mean, I think to be this season's Coquelin, he would have to be a guaranteed first-team starter. Now, when certain players return from injury, you can't be sure he will be. So I think the jury's out on that. All you can say is that he's been given an opportunity. Um, at first, it didn't look like he was going to take it, but he's, he's grown into uh, the team, and you really can't knock the amount of effort he puts in. Um, he seems fairly tactically aware in terms of what he needs to do in his position. Um, there's even an argument that he's, he's, he's making more of a contribution there than Ramsey did, perhaps, you know, because he's a more natural attacking player, as well as doing the defensive stuff. So he's not such a, a round peg in a square hole. 
So, um, early to say that he's going to be what Coquelin became in terms of his importance to the team, but fantastic to actually see that we've got a player in the squad who, frankly, we didn't expect would be as good as he has been, based on his very occasional appearances. And uh, it's, you know, the results speak for themselves. He played in a lot of matches with one and made important contributions in some of them. So, um, good news, a good quick, news story. Quick question, Kev. <clears throat> if it was Walcott or Campbell yes. in the first 11, yes. who would you choose? I would choose Campbell. Yeah, because I don't think Theo has got uh, the brain to play the position defensively. And sometimes he hasn't even got the brain to play it in, in going forward, frankly. Uh, if he has to think too much, he, he's, he's done for. Um, I, think, I think Walcott's value to the team is the impact sub thing yeah. against a tired defence. I agree, I agree with you. I, I, I would choose Campbell over Walcott. So my question, <coughs> to, so my question to you then, Steve, is when Sanchez, who's allegedly due to come back soon, yeah. though obviously who knows if... Um, He's got an operation yet, he surely? <laughs> he hasn't, they, they nearly come back, don't they? Yeah. They're nearly there, then they have the operation. <laughs> Just say he is close to a first yeah. team return. Who would your front three be then, Steve? Oh, easy, easy one. Front three Campbell, Giroud, Sanchez. Backed up by Ozil, and then Cazorla and Coquelin, and then Gabriel, Cosielli, Bellerin, and, and Monreal with checking goal. Very good. That's probably never going to happen, Steve. But <laughs> that would be my first eleven. Okay, but so you would dispense with Walker up front straight Absolutely. away. Absolutely, be good. Like Kev says, good impact sub. But that someone around me said when, when when Campbell went off on Saturday to a standing ovation, which was thoroughly deserved. Walcott tried to do a little trick down the right hand side, and someone said, "Fucking hell, Walcott, you're not fucking Campbell." <laughs> now to me, that said it all. That well, said it all. One player who, I guess Campbell, you can argue, has displaced from the team is the Ox, Mike. And um, mm -hmm. Joe Pedley has tweeted us, I'm oh, sorry, Josh Pedley, sorry Josh, and he's put, will the Ox ever be good enough to play regularly for us? He has not progressed since joining. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, he, he, he hasn't. He, look, he looked really good, actually. The first probably year, 18 months, I thought there was a lot of potential. I thought he was... He played with the free spirit and he took players on, which something that I felt we, we missed at the time. You know, we had, we had far too many players wouldn't want to pass it round the opposition rather than try and beat their man. Uh, the Ox actually has got the pace to beat the player. He's got the skill. He's got some end... He, well, he had, at that point, what I felt was some end product. And then injuries got in the way. He never had that real run in the team. And, and now he just looks a bit of a shadow of himself. He's still has the ability and he's still got the desire to get forward but rightly or wrongly you know we, we keep sticking him in the centre of midfield and I, I'm not convinced he's best suited for there and for him he, he seems to make too many he gives the ball away too often in whatever position he's in and in centre midfield that, that's dangerous and we've, we've had that to our cost was it Monaco game last year he gave the ball away mm. for one of their goals and uh, um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to think he isn't going to make it, which I think is a real shame because I like him as a player. Do you guys agree with that, Mike's sentiments? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he, that he turned out to be the player we hoped he would. Uh, I mean, he, was, he did look very, very good when he first joined. What went wrong was it the injuries? Uh, I mean, he's, he's had a bit of a run now. Like, he's had a few games, but... Maybe he's just trying too hard. I, mean, I don't know. Um, 
I mean, he, he certainly got it in him. I mean, he, he, on Saturday he hit the post and then obviously set up um, a very nice ball for Bellerin, which led to the third goal. Um, so he he's, he's, has his moments, but as a general contribution, he doesn't impose himself in the way you, you, you would want a dominant player to. And uh, a bit like Jack Wilshire, you know, you, you thought this guy is going to be the future of Arsenal. You know, how exciting we're going to see these players uh, mature and develop in the first team. And, and they've been taken over by other players who've, who've done better when they've had the opportunity. Um, so I wouldn't shed too many tears if it was sold. It just seems to get, it just seems to get hold of the ball, go and get his head down, go on and run, beat three, four, five players and lose it. And he had, I think he's had one assist and one goal in the last two years. Not really good enough. No. It's a shame, no. Bench at best. Seems like such a nice man. But anyway. Yeah. Don't but like the Cup, by the way. But let's talk about, before we go on to other ma- matters, let's be optimistic and talk about <clears> a player <throat> who is at the height of his powers right now, Mesut Ozil, who arguably is this season's Footballer of the Year, I think. You know, has been majestic this season. Question to you, Stephen. Mm. Is do you think he can be as good as um, Dennis? I mean, Ozil joined us at 24, Burkamp was 26, he's now 26 years old. Will we see a statue of Ozil outside the Emirates one day? Well, if we could do the double this year, and, and another double before he leaves, that's not beyond the realm of possibility, um, I think he probably will. I, I actually think Ozil was at least as good as Dennis Burkamp. And if he was surrounded by the sort of players that Dennis had with him, Henri, Perez, Freddy, Vieira, the likes of those. I'm not saying the current players aren't as good, but they're probably not quite the stature of those. I mean, Ozil's trying to feed Walcott, you know, whereas Bergkamp was feeding Henri. Or indeed Giroud, I mean, yeah. great player, but, yeah, you know, pretty on Henri standards. Um, but, I, but looking at some of the tricks that Ozil does on the touchline, the byline, turns his back on the, on the player, shields it well. I mean, he, he can beat two players just by looking at the ball, he's so skillful. And the tricks he does to feed our, our, our forwards and our full-backs, you know, to get past the, the back line of the defence and cut the ball back, you know, I just think his, his vision is unbelievable. Um, Bergkamp had great vision. I think Ozil's is slightly better. Where Bergkamp has got the edge over Ozil is that he was a bit more of a batter. Bergkamp battled with vision. Ozil has the vision, maybe better, but he doesn't battle quite as well as Bergkamp. After his first couple of years with us, was you expecting this season to be so good, Mike? No. I mean, you knew he had the ability. I mean, I, I, I think I've said on a podcast before, I remember um, a Cardiff away game during his first season, and I was actually sat in the main stand just behind the bench for that game, and um, he threaded the ball through for Flamini, I think, scored the goal, and I was banging line with it, and he threaded it through four or five players right into family's path didn't have to break stride slash smashed it into the net and I remember going what a fucking pass that was and I don't forget watching the, the match of the day that night and they, they showed the bench as he made that pass and you could see Bob's Steve Bowl going what a fucking pass and I was, yeah, that's yeah, what I was yeah, saying yeah, yeah. and he had the exact same views <clears throat> so you knew he had the ability you knew he had the vision and I, I have to say I always thought that when Walcott had a run, we'd see the best of both of them because Walcott would make the runs and Ozil would find him. Um, sadly, against Bournemouth, I think Ozil mm-hmm. found him about six times and Walcott managed to convert one. Um, actually, no, didn't convert no, any, did no, he, in that game? Um, so, uh, yeah, you can, you can only imagine Ozil's frustration um, with uh, 
his, his teammate at that point. But yeah, I mean, he's gone on to a different level this year. The, the consistency is, is what's really made it. Um, well, I can't wait for Sanchez to come back to see Sanchez and Ozil together. Can't wait to see that. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, for the same reasons, I'd, I'd, I'd expect that to, to be great to watch. Mm. I, think, I think the reason Ozil won't ever be seen in the same class as Bergkamp is he doesn't score the goals. He might, he might make more than Bergkamp does, but Bergkamp contributed on the scoring tally as well. And mm. Ozil, you know, he's got, what, two this season, I think? Three, maybe. Indeed, but we are seeing a player, Kev, are we not at the height of his powers and it's a joy to watch? It certainly is. I mean, the thing that comes to mind was that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was absolutely gutted when Ozil was sold, and you you can now see why, because obviously you know he was teeing up the goals. Um, and it is a question of Ozil playing with players who are going to maximise the opportunities, the results of the opportunities that he uh, creates for them. And uh, it's it's a quality question, you know. I mean, certainly Ozil is of the quality to win you titles, but it's a team game, and uh, there's going to be big games where Ozil's probably going to only be able to set up two or three opportunities, and then it's whether or not the guys on the end of them can actually do the business. And Don't make sure Joel Campbell's on the end of them then. Well, you, you, could, you could say that now, but, uh, you know, he, he, he missed a, a few uh, this West season. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with the amount of chances he's creating. It is a wonder to behold. So let's move on for our last couple of topics about stuff, you know, non-related to our performance at the moment. And let's talk about our 10th season at the Emirates, which it now, now is. Now, I don't mind admitting to the listeners, to me, our current ground will never be what Harvey was, and it's resulted in me attending a lot less games, because in 10 years I still do not get on with the new stadium. I say new stadium, it's 10 years, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. it isn't a hybrid. Do chaps share my view, and how does the general experience of attending games contrast with our old great ground? I'll start with you, Michael. If you want to know the experience, the experience, and I, I don't really like using that word, I mean, I, I, that's my job, it's, it's, it's about a customer experience. But isn't but, that modern day football? But, that isn't, modern day football. but that's, isn't that what's wrong with modern day football? Yes. They have to try and create an experience. I just want to go to the match like I did, you know, hybrid and have a few pints and go and complain about the smell of the toilets rising from up into the seats of the east stand and all that sort of thing. And that was great, that was football, that was what I was brought up in. Now, Customers, fans, expect so much more, and I, you know that's not just in football. That's life in general, but it's you know permeated into football, and the clubs have, have reacted to it. And for us people that remember the eighties, nineties at Highbury and before seventies, um, that, that's alien to us, isn't it? And we're, we're going. I don't, I, don't, I don't want all that. I don't want all that touchy feeling. <laughs> I, 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 want to be, I want to be back on the terrace getting pushed and shoved around and somebody, you know, pushing yeah, down the terraces behind you. Not the fact that when you see a bit of, bit of water, a bit of liquid falling between your seats, you think somebody spilt their coffee. It's not that. It never used to be at Highbury. <laughs> so so the, the experience for me, yeah, I mean, you get great sight, sight lines. The seats are comfortable. Getting in is... is relatively easy even with the, the, the increased security at the moment but it ain't hybrid never will be Steve am I right in saying that you no longer attend every game 
at the I'm happy to say I'm now fully back in the swing of it. I've seen the last three home games and I'm going to miss the Chelsea one, but I'm going to the next few after that, probably most of them. So how does it compare for you, Steve? <coughs> I still love it. Ten, I mean, still like ten years on, I mean, not so going to the Arsenal, but the experience. It's a totally different experience to what it was at Ivory. It's never going to be the same at Ivory because in those days it was comparatively five bob to get in. Any Tom, Dick or Harry could turn up, you know, at 12 o'clock and, and pay their five bob or their... Their ten shillings or their two pound or whatever it was. It wasn't quite that way in '97, '98. But I get, I get what you <laughs> and, mean. <laughs> and go into the ground and stand where they wanted on the terraces and sing and shout and have a laugh and you know a load of kids could get in there. And nowadays you, you have to book a month in advance. You have to be a member to get a ticket. You've got to be a tourist by and large to get to get in there. Um, there's a completely different fan base, as Mike alluded to. We're almost customers now rather than supporters. And in fact, Charlton even started calling their fans customers, which, heaven forbid, Arsenal ever do with us, because that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, because we're never going to be customers, even if we are putting up with a bit of a soulless experience. But I, I mean, I just love the football these days, and I love the Green Bay's pitch. I love the Emirates as a stadium, even though I'm not allowed to say that word. I even love the new floodlights they've got up there, and... You know, I, I, I love the sight, the view that I get. I love it when that North Bank net bulges. I think I said this in the last podcast, that going to every home game is actually like going to a cup final. The stadium is that brilliant. So I can't really understand why people don't enjoy going to the Emirates, because if you love watching Arsenal, then the Emirates is the best place to watch it. And 70s, 80s, 90s, Highbury is, is never coming back. As much as I loved it, it's never coming back to either us, Barcelona... Man United, Chelsea, Tottenham or anyone else. In fact, Chelsea and Tottenham are about to take the Arsenal route, aren't they? They're going to arsenalise their own grounds and stuff, you know. And I'm pretty sure some of their fans will like it, some won't. But they're never going to go back. And, and we won't go back. Ten years on, Kevin. Is it home for you? Um, it doesn't have the spiritual connection that Highbury did. Uh, Partly, I suspect, because when I was a young man, that's where I was introduced to Arsenal. Um, by the time we moved to this new stadium, you know, my bonds were formed. And, uh, you know, it'd be more interesting, in a way, to ask a supporter who maybe started going in the last ten years. How well, they you've think. got a son, I presume you've taken yes. two games. Um, Does he like the Emirates? Yes. That's all he's known, right? It is all he's known, yes. But then again, it's, it's, you can't really ask a kid because in a way you experience the football stadium as an independent person and do your own thing. He's just being dragged along by me. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, you probably need to ask someone in their early 20s maybe who didn't, didn't go to Highbury. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, there's no denying you are further away from the pitch. So there's that intimacy thing. Certainly upstairs, the acoustics aren't the same, so the, the chanting often gets lost. Um, having said that, you know, I'm, I'm getting on. When I go to away games and have to stand the whole match, I get bloody wear backache. So for me, you know, I'm quite happy to sit watching a game. It just so happens I sit next to people I get on with so I can have a social time as well in a way that I used to have on the North Bank in a different kind of way. Sure. But I can have a chit-chat during the game and uh, even when the game's dull, I can still enjoy it because I'm having a chit-chat. So I really think it is what you make of it. I think one thing everyone probably does acknowledge is that two 
managed to remain where we are over the last 10 years, meaning a club with potential to do things in an ever-changing world, we couldn't really have remained at uh, Highbury because we would have just fallen a bit too far behind the the clubs that were making more money. Um, and in a way, Arsenal have been unlucky because when they did plan that new stadium, Manchester United were the opposition in terms of the club who were outspending Arsenal. They were well down the road of building it when suddenly Abramovich landed in town. After moving stadium, the then had Manchester City being bought out by the Middle East. So it's, it's in a way, the, the plan didn't quite work out. So, you know, we, in theory, should have been competing with Manchester United for the trophies over the last decade. As it turns out, we've been also competing with two other teams who are spending far more, much more money. Um, you know, some call it progress. I think we're all nostalgic for the old days, and it was a different experience, and it was one that we enjoyed more because of the age we were and our experience before that. But uh, I can still enjoy matches at the new Arsenal Stadium. Um, the Emirates. As like to be called <laughs> by some. But, uh, you know, we all know it's not the same. But our younger listeners are there going, shut up, granddad. So we're now going to move Exactly. So as they should be. Yeah. As they should be. I do worry about Go the on. fact that it's 90 quid to get in for grade A games. Yes. 50 odd quid for grade Bs and upwards of 30 for the grade Cs. Where's the new generation of fans coming Well, from? they do have the Young Guns scheme, which has not been properly publicised, whereby for grade B and C weekend matches, you can get in for a tenner. And more kids, I'd like to think, would use it than do, but yeah. it's not heavily publicised. But when they get to 16 and they go on the dole, how are they going to afford the full price season ticket? Uh, that's a very good question. I think they can still get in the family enclosure until they're 18, um, but once you get to uh, 19, you are paying the same as everybody else, and I can imagine that being a real stretch. Mm. And to be fair, I bought a ticket for a Category C game the other day. Don't go to that many matches, but I've been there, and it was 25 quid. Not bad. Yeah, no, no, really yeah. yeah. Leicester, right? Yeah. Leicester game. What, 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 top what, of the table what, 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 clash. Leicester, top of the table clash. You know, decent city, halfway line. Twenty-five pounds. So you know, for once, I'll be optimistic and be yeah. happy that I've got Big a seat. To Arsenal. Yeah, Big hand to I mean, Leicester was a category C. Yeah, so you good. know, good day, right? Last one. Next issue: the Gooner has a feature on Arsenal penalties scored, missed, for and against. One of each, please. Start with you, Kevin. As you said, the question you might have uh, already had it previously. Right, okay. Um, well, the one I'm actually going to write about in the issue, and I'm, I'm not going to change my mind. Uh, was a penalty in the 2001-2002 season. Uh, I think it was April. It was definitely the run-in. We were playing uh, Tottenham. Uh, Mike remembers it. It's on my right. And uh, basically, I think it was really a must-win game, you know, because apart from it being the derby, you know, we were neck-and-neck neck with Man United, who had won the league for the last three years running, and we really had to do something. And so, anyway, it was one all. I think there were probably around ten minutes left. And uh, Thierry Henry was fouled, had to leave the pitch, and um, Lauren stood up to take it. Now, Lauren's taken some 
high pressure penalties for Cameroon in things like uh, African Nations Cup finals and that kind of thing. So he was your man. But I recall when he took it, and I've watched it on video since, and it's faster on video, but at the moment, in real time, it was the slowest of grass cutters you've ever seen. He just seemed to mishit it to me, and it rolled slowly down the middle of the area. Fortunately, the keeper had died by that time. I thought he had time to get back and save it, but it just rolled over the line. It was so soft. I can't believe he meant to hit it that softly, but it went in. One of those ones that was so soft it didn't actually hit the back of the net. (laughs) And I was just... uh, It was ecstasy. It was Spurs. It really mattered in the context of the season. It had to go in. And the way it went in just made it all the sweeter. Mike, one from you. Um... Oh, crikey, there's so many in there. Um, I'll go for one we missed just to bring it down a level. Um, and it's probably a fairly obvious one as well. Um, but, uh, but I think it cost us the double that year. 98, 99. Um, Mike? Semi-final at Villa Park. Last minute penalty. Last minute normal time penalty. And Dennis Bergkamp, you know, fantastic. He yeah. wasn't going to miss. He was going to score. And we were going to win and go through the final. Man United were down to 10 men already by that stage. It was going to screw up their what became treble hopes. We'd have all the momentum. We'd go on and win the league as well. We'd have Newcastle in the final, who we'd done the year before. Perfect. And it got saved. And it all went wrong. And it was... I never, actually, I've probably told this story before, but I was with a couple of mates, and we'd driven up, and uh, we walked out of the ground, we got in the car, and we drove... 100 miles back to Dartford or 100 and whatever miles and we didn't say a word none of us we all just sat there just kind of, I was gutted that night as well unbelievable they, it was the quickest 100 yeah. miles we ever did as well they we never would have won the treble they, no. on, and that was on the anniversary if you remember they won the treble on, on St Thomas's oh, night oh, 89 10 that's years it. later we were all at Aguna Function yeah. watching it on the big screen yeah. watching that horrific Man United Bayern Munich yeah. Yeah. of course if it had gone in we wouldn't have been at that oh, celebrating been, uh, most of the night if I remember rightly because Munich were one up in yes. the 90th minute yeah. and then the whole evening ended in disaster yeah. Steve let's finish on a really oh, from you I'm going to change it I want a penalty that went in give me a great penalty I'll give you three in. do you do that because this will be the last contribution of the, of the evening Hillsborough so, 71 yeah. the first double against Stoke and they were a, they were a pain in the arse then and they're still a pain in the arse now. Fucking horrible team. <clears throat> and um, we were 2-0 down that day, as everyone probably knows. Um, we got back into the game to make it 2-1. Got a penalty in the 91st minute at Hillsborough. Semi-final, FA Cup. And my God, I, I was 16 at the time. First time in my heart I've ever truly been in my mouth at an Arsenal match. If he missed, Stoke would go to the final instead of us. Luckily he scored, straight down the middle... And we were in, and we won the replay, fine. Second one, believe it or not... Gordon Banks and Gold. Yeah, Gordon Banks, yeah. Second one, believe it or not, quite recent. In the last FA Cup run, when we won the FA Cup against Hull... Yes. 2014 season. Yes, remember it well. Against Everton in the FA Cup. Yes. At the Emirates. Yes. When Arteta had the twice-taken penalty at 1-1. We were all over him. Because they'd equalised, didn't they? They'd equalised. He'd taken the first penalty... Someone moved. Take it again. I'm thinking, oh my God, he's got to score this. Otherwise, Everton are going to get right back into it. It could stay 1-1. We could get a replay at Goodison Park. Who knows what might happen? We need this cup. We've beaten Liverpool in the last round. We can't surely not beat Everton because Arteta misses a twice-taken penalty. Again, heart in the mouth. 
he stepped up, put it in exactly the same place, 2-1. We were there. We actually went on to win 4-1, but absolutely brilliant. And last one, the Steve. third one was... Uh, you picked us up for free here, here. I know. Look at that. Everyone's on the edge you know of their seats at home. Do you know what? They're you sat there, the others, commuting to work. We've, we've been finished now, Steve. This is it. This was, we're only doing one each anyway. This was the big climax of the <laughs> yeah. entire podcast. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've built it up. Yeah. People are there going to work. They've got to their tube, tube stations. Yeah. They, they, they sat there listening. They're okay. not moving into their offices. They're waiting for this, Steve, like you would not believe. Right. People are excited. It's raining. All right. They're, they're getting okay. wet, waiting for this bit. All, right. information. all five penalties in the semi-final against Reading last year. Again in 2014. Hey. And addition, no, sorry, Wigan, Wigan, <laughs> Wigan. 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 All, five pen- all five penalties against Wigan, because if we'd have gone out that day, we would have been crucified. Wenger probably would have left the club. It was touch and go. Went to penalties. All five were just superb that we went through and the rest is history. Very good, Steve, though, with such a delayed climax, your wife should be very happy. So but anyway... Anyway, I now want to hand you over to Kev, who um, has a few words about the current issue of the Guna. Yes, I mean, this current issue is actually only now on sale, either through the website or if you go into the away matches at Liverpool and Stoke from the ever-present Alex, selling outside the ground. Um, but if you are going and you haven't got it yet, it's got the 2016 Guna calendar which is on the theme of 10 years at the new stadium. Uh, it's also got the return of cartoon favourite Dwight Hart Lane in a version of uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, in which former Spurs managers come back to uh, take part in his dreams. Um, we've got a new series, The George Graham Years, looking at 86-87, uh, and we've got uh, a piece on the pubs around the stadium, written by... Our uh, publisher, Mike Francis, who uh, did quite a bit of research for that one, I'm led to believe. And uh, the only other one I'll mention is the special feature, which is on Guna Characters, uh, this issue. However, there is another one out, a new one out, for the Chelsea game, which uh, we're working on now. I will include, amongst other things, a feature on famous Arsenal penalties. So uh, please, £2.50, please support us, keep us going, and buy a copy Thank you, um, Kevin. And my third one will be in that issue. Do you know what, Steve? It's I'm keeping it. everyone in suspense. Excellent, brilliant. Why are you going to say that first of all is beyond me, but thank you very much for that. You can contact us via Twitter, Aguna Podcast, and email agunapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to the panel. Goodbye, You're everyone. Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you and for it's... showing up from your uh, Tumbridge Angels <laughs> duties. Yeah, I'm not meant to mention that. Um, <laughs> we'll be back for another edition in February. But you won't be there, will you? Well, I was going to say, Stephen, and I will tell the listeners, just recently I've been having an affair with a non-league club, and whilst I love the Guna very, very much, my appearances may be a bit more sporadic. I will appear if I'm going to Arsenal regularly, but I feel you deserve a host that actually knows what's going on. Now, I really, to be fair, I've never known what's going on. I've blagged it every single time and got away with it, even though you much prefer Kevin. <laughs> but hopefully we'll meet again sometime soon. Um, I won't hop on about it, but it's been, it's been a joy and a pleasure. But enough about me. It's not about me. It's about Arsenal Football Club. That's the important thing, li- listeners. So yes, on we go. All good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!